You're listening to. And what is poppin'? You are listening to the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 160. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have the once and future professional Asian American Just Jew. Hey, Marvin. How's Hello. I'm good. I want to know about your weekend, Marvin. Are you standing and have you survived your brother's bachelor party in Vegas? I have survived. Um, I am probably like a couple shades darker because we went to some day clubs (laughs) and I was out in the 110 degree weather. Was this your first time at a day club? It is. I kind of missed the whole day club experience. It was. Aren't you glad? I'm glad that I'm of an age where. I can just buy table service and not have to deal with being in the middle of everything. Damn, what a flex. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. But um, it, I also... It's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> we went on a Sunday, so it wasn't as crowded as, like, I've seen it yet. So it wasn't too bad, but it was interesting. I was... um. <sighs> This is my first time going to Vegas during the EDM era of Vegas clubs. So it was mm. interesting to just, just see how different things are. <laughs> because when when I used to go to Vegas clubs, it was like, it was all hip hop. So to see like the, the dance wow, music that sounds now. like a glorious time, <laughs> honestly. I'm very sad. I, I, I did not get to experience that. Yeah. Um, but I also, using my age as an excuse... Um, peaced out early um, most nights. So I was able to get back to my room around 3 a.m. ish, which, you know, for Vegas is pretty early if you're going for a bunch of dudes nights, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, it was all right. Well, happy you survived. I was my self preservation. Offline. <laughs> yeah, I would love to offline about the strip club later. So, <laughs> <laughs> what? Why not record it? <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, he needs a. He needs, uh, plausible deniability <laughs> right right i would love to you know i've never been to a strip club and i feel like you know that's i feel like that's an experience i'm missing you might have fun i know but then you know it's kind of like when you go it's the Female? same thing what happens when i go to a restaurant yeah because who wants to see dudes and dinglings that's not fun um <laughs> but there's no artistry in that but what if like, it's just a male review and they dance like a, a yeah but see for me like there mic. needs there needs to be like a certain level of like men I find attractive and like what I find attractive is not typically like what, what if it's is sold Asian. in these male reviews. Yeah, if there's a bunch of Asian dudes, I am a hundred percent down. Like, I think we, we have to go to like Korea for that. Right. I s I've definitely it's come across my Instagram feed somehow. <laughs> Like, yeah. Somehow, no. I don't know how. Well, for, for me, like strip clubs are very much like we have food at home. Like I can go look, I can dance for myself in front of a mirror and and look at my own naked body. But you know, I feel like that is something I should do because you know they are very talented. I will say I don't want any anybody, male or female, rub it up on me. Um, I just got to say because also there's smells and stuff like that. But if they are on stage dancing, I'm I'm very into good artistry, good dancing. And what if it's a strip club, but it's only cute animals? I invented a cat cafe. Never mind. <laughs> right. Because also we don't want it to be like titillating. We just want them to have. Fun, oh, you don't you want know? the yeah. cats, the musical, the strip club. Oh, because that so definitely gross. exists somewhere. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. No, not to what? yuck anyone's yum. Not my thing. Um, yeah. That would give me nightmare fuel. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not furry adjacent. I mean, I like animals, but not in it in that way. So, yeah. 
<laughs> well, speaking of beefy dudes <laughs> and raunchy <laughs> sex adjacent acts, um, on this episode, we're talking about Joyride, the new Asian American <laughs> raunchy road trip comedy that just came out last weekend. Um, but before we get to that good time, um, let's find out what pop culture is beginning us through this week. Uh, let's start with Jess. Besides Vegas, what's All right. poppin'? So in Vegas, one of the things uh, we did was with my in-laws, we watched Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which I had a really fun time in. And that somehow led to us watching um, more historically like mockumentary (laughs) things. So we started putting on. So while Marvin was getting getting Liddy at the strip club, I was watching uh, Kunk on Earth, which is a available on Netflix. It's a British mockumentary series uh, that's. Features uh, a character named Philomena Kunk, uh, played by Diane Morgan, who is an ill-informed investigative reporter who is basically doing like a series on Earth and civilization. Um, So you may have heard some of these. For those of you on TikTok, I know Marvin is not on TikTok. I don't don't think you are. I am, but I'm like, yeah, I just look at things. I don't post. I don't know if you're on this side, but there's the, you know, that sounds like it's hard to believe that this is the oldest city in something, something, because mm-hmm. it's not this. That's in Iraq and it's fucking dangerous. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of like sound bites that are from the show that I didn't realize, mm-hmm. um, but really funny in that like British, almost like somewhat like daily show esque way. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially she covers a lot of different, you know, the, the, the beginning of man through civilization and she interviews these experts and I have to believe they're real experts and that they are told that, you know, to be as sincere as possible. And she asks, of course, like ridiculous questions, really funny questions. Um, But you know, it's British. So it's a little bit like more Mm -hmm. sardonic and dry than I think some of our American program can be in that like John Oliver way, but very, very funny. Um, the reactions are really funny of some of these experts. Some of them are like very diplomatic. Uh, and while others are just like, like, like just behooved, like they don't like, they have no idea what the, how to react, but it's really funny. Um, I, I can't, um, there's like a, you know, you start off with agriculture and like early civilization, you get to like the crusades and the rise of religion. There's uh and, and I think it goes all the way to the, uh, you know, the space age and like AI, but very funny. I think if you like anything of the, you know, daily show, it's kind of giving uh, me Ali G show vibes. Yeah. I was about to say between Ali G and, um, uh, what's his other character that he makes? Um, whatever. Borat. Yeah. Basically it's like, it's it's much more, it's much more gentler. (laughs) It's way gentler, which is why I can handle it. And again, it's a, it, it very much, parodies those like david attenborough-esque mm-hmm. you know like tv specials about some big overarching historical ge- <clears throat> geographical archaeological question um but you know and it's that perfect mix of like dumb and smart humor so you'll get you know you'll get like a expert trying to explain to her why you know like man didn't invent something ridiculous i can't come up with remember off the top of my head Mm -hmm. and then you get like a reoccurring bit every episode where she says you know she compares everything in the timeline to when the belgian techno hit pump up the jam was released (laughs) and then they proceed to play at least 30 seconds of pump up the jam the video the music video 
uh, it's just really funny. It's much gentler. Um, she's she's just it's it's not as a it's not as like the the people never look like the experts never look like the fool. She always looks like the fool. Right. Um, and it's really funny to try to have her explain, but she's so like impervious to like logical thought because that's her character. And Diane Morgan, who I've never really seen before this. Uh, she's a, you know, British actor, comedian, TV presenter. She just is so good at the straight face. Like I had to Google that this wasn't like a real character. Like this wasn't actually like uh, her real name and right. like a real character. She's very good. Uh, I This has been on my list to watch for a while. Uh, so I'm glad you reminded me because the thing that I find the most interesting about it is this is also produced by Charlie Brooker, who does Black Mirror. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> whoa what yeah. that's a very uh he created it swing right and i and, and, he, and this is a 2022 mockumentary so there's clearly a time when he was done being like depressed with black mirror so it's it might explain why the new season of black mirror a lot of the old adherents are kind of grumpy with it because um in the past his black mirror was all about technological like you know doom and gloom stuff and this season only one is about technology and the rest of them are more like social commentary (laughs) so you know the pandemic and everything changed us all and this is probably one of the things that he turned to to be sane um yeah. yeah, yeah, it sounds like he needed some comedy yes. in his life. Yeah, I mean, I yes. love a good mockumentary, so I'm, I'm yeah. interested in checking out. this. Where, where can I watch yeah, this? Yeah, I would, I would, uh, it's on Netflix. It's only like five or six episodes. Again, very funny. Um, it does not take much effort because visually you're not really <laughs> having to pay attention. It's the interactions with these experts. It's like the really ridiculous sound bites. Like, oh, the the other TikTok sound is which was more culturally significant: the Renaissance or Single Ladies by Beyonce. <laughs> Yeah, I should I should check that out. Um, sounds great. Um, all right, Han, what's popping with you? Despite my saying I'm not furry adjacent, I'm not. Um, <laughs> you can't start off a sentence like that, Han. <laughs> I will but describe sure. this series to you, and you're going to be like Han. I don't know what you're thinking, um, but uh, sort of um, looking forward to the new season of Heartstopper that's coming in August. Um, I had been seeking out. Um, some cute gay love stories, um, but there aren't a lot in the Eng- um, in the English speaking world. But of course, the Asians are all over that shit because you know it. That sort of genre started out in uh, manga with the yaoi uh, subgenre, and they have like graduated to the screen. So there's lots of Japanese um, Thai, of course, uh, gay love stories, boys love, which is basically the subgenre what they call it um so the korean ones are actually kind of cute um because they don't get very uh hot and heavy let's say <laughs> because it's korean um but so the weirdest one i've come across so far and i think it's still worth checking out because it's very cute when i talk about cute like there's barely anything going on but it it still is um there's lots of smiling at each other there's hugs and also um they they do sort of talk about the the traumas that that that's people are getting over in order to you know 
make this in- connection. So the one I'm going to talk about is called Choco Milk Shake. Um, it is a boys love drama, K drama on YouTube. You can go to the Strongberry channel, which is, I believe, specifically is like an independent Korean drama producing channel um, on YouTube and check it out. It's very short episodes, like anywhere from like 12 to 15 minutes per episode. Um, and the premise is a young guy named Jung Woo. Um, he comes home one day to find like two dudes waiting outside his house. And he's like, what the hell? Um, and then they it basically invite themselves in. And it turns out these are his childhood pets, Chaco the dog and, <laughs> and Milk the cat. <laughs> They've come back as two cute, very hot looking dudes. And um, here's the thing. Despite the premise, it's not as gross as you think. It is actually very sweet and innocent. Um, there's no furry adjacent things going on. <laughs> the, uh, there, you know, he might pat him on the head, but no one's like sitting on the ground and drinking milk from a bowl. Nothing like that. They eat human food. They act like humans. They somehow know how to make like cook food. So it's more of like their personalities that are kind of dog cat. And um, so like, you know, Chaco the dog doesn't want to like have uh, Jungwoo leave his site. And since they're very, you know, still connected to him, they go to work with him. <laughs> he happens to work with his uncle who runs what I can only figure out is maybe a bar slash cafe. Um, uncle is very young and hot looking too. Um, okay. But yeah, and so they so throughout the episodes, you find out like just why they came back um, because they were like, yeah, we had to come back over the Rainbow Bridge, which I was like, oh, no, um, and fight heaven and hell to get back to you. Um, there was actually a moment where I cried and I'm almost done with the series because since the episodes go really fast. So I think it's actually very sweet. Um, it does kind of hit some a little bit of those Heartstopper vibes. Um there are actually several other series that I think like really do that well too. But just because this is such an odd premise, I thought I'd mention it because you know it's also on YouTube, so you don't need to subscribe to anything. Um, so if you don't want to. I don't know if this is a spoiler or anything, but <laughs> who exactly are the OTPs or the ships or the the BL pairings in this show? Is it the return animals and the human, or is it between the cat and the dog? boys <laughs> it's Chaco Jungwoo or Jungwoo I guess Chaco Jungwoo is the right order um and then uh the uncle and milk oh there's two parents <laughs> okay because yeah. I was I also was just like is there gonna be a throuple I was very confused but that's a lot of things well, also is it gonna be the cat boy and the dog boy because then I, then I would say man look at the hoops they have to jump through to just have two boys kiss uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the thing is also, like, as I said, it's very clean. So I think kissing is the most you get. Um, and it's not even like long kissing. Um, but, uh, I mean, I'm almost done with the series. So who knows? Like, they might get it on all of a sudden. But I think they only refer to stuff, like, possibly. And they're like, no, I can't do that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it, it's, while there are pairings, it's not ever that far and they do talk about sort of mental health and like where he is in his life um and stuff like that so it's a, it's a little deeper than you would expect um they talk about her um his mom who's also gone who is the sister of the uncle um so yeah they pack in a lot i think and it's very cute i don't know how else to say it they somehow <laughs> figured out the formula it's very cute so anyway yeah <laughs> 
So what's or, popping with you, Marvin? <laughs> yeah, so I've been watching My Adventures with Superman, which is a brand new animated Superman oh. series, which just premiered on Adult Swim with two episodes. Um, it is a um, not really a fresh take on Superman, but like a return to a more... Um, I guess non-brooding like Snyderverse take on Superman. Um, it is Superman um, inspired by I guess shonen anime. Um, this version of Superman is much more upbeat. Um, he is kind of more of a himbo type Superman, and he's played by Jack Quaid, which is I think brilliant casting for a himbo type Superman. I'm looking at the images right now because I was like, oh, let's see who this himbo looks like, and I was like, oh, they made him very um, Christopher Reeve. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the creators have said that they took inspiration from, and this is a deep cut if you are familiar with Dragon Ball Z, but um, Teen Gohan, when he's Super mm. Saiyan Man, um, mm. they kind of, he kind of gives mm. that energy a lot. Oh, kind of an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and Goofy. he's kind of a himbo. He's not a himbo as in like he's a complete idiot, but he's just like a giant, I guess, a goober, like super goofy. Um, his entire story arc for the first episode is that he wants to just be a normal guy he's just walking around trying to be a normal man with super strength and then he keeps running into people that he and he keeps running into situations where he needs to use his super strength to like save people or he accidentally opens a door too hard and it breaks and it's really funny and um the show does wear its anime inspirations on the sleeve um one of the best parts in i think the second episode is that when he finally gets a super suit he gains it through a magical girl transformation (laughs) Wait, do we? Does he get naked all of a sudden, and we see his underwear? I mean, <laughs> I mean, not completely <laughs> naked, but he does do the whole twirling around in gotcha. splash and light as his as his suit uh, materializes around his body. Um, mm. It's very, if you know, you know. I think that's how all superheroes should change. <laughs> that's how we should all change in real life. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. There's only been two episodes so far, but the action's pretty good. Uh, one of the uh, coolest parts is that they've kind of, um, I guess, race spent um, a lot of the main cast. So in this world, um, Perry White and Jimmy Olsen are both black characters. And um, Lois Lane is an Asian-American and played by Alice Lee. And I like this trend of like casting Lois Lane as an Asian-American because she's always been like, you know, that overachiever go-getter. And, um, you know, um, our friend Sarah Kuhn recently wrote a graphic novel um where Lois Lane is like a Japanese American um, up and comer. So, yeah, I dig it. So, Adult Swim, so you can watch this on Max? Yeah, it's streaming on Max, uh, which, you know, I'm surprised that something this, you know, this, I guess, progressive is coming out of that company, um, especially with all that's going on today, especially with like the writer's strike and how um, the studios are like conspiring to keep the actors from going on strike. It's. Um, it, I mean, it's because animation takes a long time, so you might as well have this since they don't have to pay new writers, you yeah, know. For- yeah. And, oh, something else that's really interesting about this take is all three of the main, like, Daily Planet characters, Lois Lane, um, Jimmy Olsen, and Clark Kent, are they're all three of them interns. So none of them ah. are established um reporters and so they're all going around trying to lois lane's like up and comer and she really wants to like break big stories even though perry white's telling her no your job is to make photocopies and do research so sad you know what i love a decent intern story so i'm gonna have to check out to see (laughs) if they like how how good or bad they have it compared to my own experiences yeah so uh 
the show is My Adventures with Superman. It's playing now on um, Adult Swim and streaming on Max. So check it out. Um, I'm definitely digging the first two episodes and I will keep watching and let you guys know if if it maintains that quality. But with that, that's what's popping for this week. When we come back, we're going on a joyride. Stick around. Hey, Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Robin. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics. The weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Robin Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Arrakis to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Luniang. You might might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics. That's qtdcomics.com. Set phasers to fun. Hey, Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. For this episode, we are talking about Joyride, the new Asian-American raunchy road trip comedy directed by Adele Lim of uh, Crazy Rich Asians fame um, and co-written by Cherry Chiva Parvatarong and Teresa Shao, and starring Ashley Park, Cherry Cola, Stephanie Sue, and Sabrina Wu as a group of friends as they get into shenanigans on a road trip across Asia. Um, Ashley Park plays Audrey Sullivan, a Chinese-American adoptee with white parents who lives in White Hills, Seattle, um, who is sent to China by her law firm to close a deal with a Chinese corporation. She is joined by her childhood best friend Lolo Chen, played by Sherry Cola, and Lolo's cousin Vanessa, nicknamed Deadeye, played by Sabrina Wu. And in China, they meet up with Audrey's college roommate, Kat, who now stars in uh, C-dramas, um, played by Stephanie Su. Oh, sorry. Um, Academy Award nominee, Stephanie Sue. Mm -hmm. And so after committing a cultural faux pas during her business meeting, um, Audrey and her friends um, are essentially forced to go on a road trip across China uh, to find Audrey's birth mother in order to salvage her deal. And what ensues is essentially um, the Asian-American version of like a raunchy road trip movie filled with sexy and crude shenanigans. Um, so yeah, I guess to start off our discussion, what do we think of Joyride? I had a lovely time. Um, you know, I love comedies. I love comedies that don't center white men. Uh, and I love, uh, I love it when Asian American folks who are traditionally told to like, not you know, the the whole idea of being subservient, submissive, delicate, innocent is kind of averted. And, you know, this is probably indoctrination from watching too many Sex and the City 
um, reruns on E! when they would have those like marathons all weekend. But like, I fucking just love a foursome, like a four top friend group comedy like scenario. It's, it's just gold. Um, so this movie gave me everything in that. Um, and it had some really, really... I mean, Adele, I think Adele did a great job. I thought the script was really funny. And it's just it's just very refreshing. We haven't really seen something like this. Um, and it's fun when, uh, or at least I haven't. Marvin, you may have <laughs> you may have other feelings. Um, and I think it's just also just uh, heightened by some pretty fantastic performances, especially from all, uh, you know, uh, Ashley Park. Uh, Stephanie Shu and and newcomer Sabrina Wu, uh, who is known on I think more as a stand up comic, mm-hmm. um, but did a really great job as kind of the quirky you know friend of the group, the kind of like oddball, like the super extreme oddball. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, it was it had a short runtime, so there are a few things I felt like were rushed, but overall, very good time. Uh, if you can watch it in a theater, watch it in a theater with a friend, uh, surrounded by Asians. That's <laughs> the best way to watch it, um, which is something I did. It was in Koreatown where the screening was. And I think overall, I liked how defined each of the characters were. And just the energy that came to it, you know, love Asians being messy um, and unapologetically messy. It was just it's very freeing. And uh, yeah, just just a good time. Yeah, um, I definitely wish I had seen it with a big group of Asians. Um, I I caught a matinee um, this morning, actually, in a relatively (laughs) empty theater. So. Um, oh. didn't get the full experience but um, yeah because I was actually invited to a opening weekend screening but as you may have heard I was out with my brother <laughs> this weekend in Vegas so I wasn't able yeah. to, to <laughs> attend those um, I thought that was a lot of fun um, love a good road trip movie love a good R-rated comedy and it was definitely a lot of fun being Chinese you know, definitely was cool to see you know Beijing and you know the the Chinese countryside and all that and I remember when this first was first announced and the synopsis was that this was a film centering around an adoptee's um, birth search and that the film was going to star Ashley Park and I remember having two um, very specific reservations about both those decisions and one of those reservations still kind of stand and is probably the greatest criticism of the film that we can probably talk about later on um, but the other was actually cleverly subverted yeah. by the film which I thought was pretty I cool. I mean obviously none of us are in the adoptee community or the transnational transracial tr- adoption community so I'm not going to speak for them um, but I think because we don't because the movie isn't really about that um, and it doesn't really get too deep on that so which I mean which I think is a valid you know you could say like did we even need that um, I, I I think it's like yeah, the the movie doesn't really ask any questions about the morality of it yeah. or like what it does. It's just kind of a plot device uh, for better or for worse. Yeah, and I've definitely heard um, reactions from both sides, both both positive and negative, about the portrayal of the adoptee experience from this film. And I do think it is important to consider those perspectives because you know the adoptee community within the Asian American community is a segment that you know can often have mixed feelings about all of the talk about representation uh, for Asian Americans in media. And I'm sure uh, we'll touch more on that later. But I guess to start off our discussion. 
I want to start with what we liked about the film. So um, I guess what did you all like about Joyride? I think just the central relationship between the two friends, Lolo and Audrey, I appreciated because, you know, we all talk about the more Asians you have in a, a film, then they get to be their own individual types of Asians. <laughs> um, and in this one, the sort of the central premise is that Lolo, you know, she has her Chinese parents living in America, whereas Audrey is adopted by white people. And so you get two Asian Americans. They're both very assimilated. They're fully American, but they definitely express themselves in different ways, which there's many jokes about Audrey being very white. Um, and there's, you know, you, and sometimes they don't even talk about it. Like, and you can see it in the scene. Uh, I remember an early scene where they're watching TV and eating snacks and um, Lolo is eating out of the chip bag with um, with chopsticks, whereas yes. um, Audrey is not. She's using her hands. And so there's just many little things like that where I'm just like, oh, my God. So this is like well thought out for just the minor details. Um, they do joke that she probably that Audrey probably knows all the characters in succession, you know, stuff like that. And you know what? Who amongst us doesn't have like a lot of whiteness in the way they're assimilated or friends that are like that too? So um, I appreciated that aspect of it. And those are just the two characters. Um, the fact that we get two more friends in the group to sort of like diversify the way, you know, uh, I think the these Asian Americans are depicted I, just helped a lot. Um, I think the comedy was great. We get different kinds. We get some really very specific jokes, very ethnic specific jokes, which again was a Chinese person. I really appreciated um, some of the scenes with like her family in China just like left me howling, especially with like grandma, grandma and grandpa. Like it's it's so real. I thought the physical comedy was hilarious. Um, and then and then we get a lot of really great like you know uh, was it. I don't know sports, but like, a, you know, they come in and they, they just sink a bunch of buckets, um, you know, kind of this like like a like a carousel of just really talented people in coming in doing two really funny minutes, like a few really hilarious minutes and just leaving. Um, so it was always like really, really, I think the momentum of it and like all these characters were introduced were just really fun. But the central story is really about the, this friendship. And it's it's really refreshing to have a. Um, female and non-binary led film that isn't about chasing a love interest mm -hmm. um, which you know I think some of the way that it was marketed could be like oh like these dudes are, these hot sexy dudes are gonna have such like a big part of it they are just props uh, very well employed props and very handsome props um, and again it's really fun to see people like Desmond Chiam and Alex <laughs> Hodge come in and do like little bits um, but really, the center is this friendship and this new friendship of these four people who come from very different worlds, but all have this kind of single thread of, you know, like belonging and both in the, you know, micro sense of this group and this these friendships and then this like bigger idea of belonging and where do you belong as an Asian American um, or where do you belong in your family or where, you know, where do you what is your purpose? Um, so, and you know, which is surprisingly deep for, you know, a raunchy comedy where someone stuffs a bag, several bags, condoms of cocaine up their ass, <laughs> <laughs> which it was my favorite sequence. The whole train sequence 
I think everything from the train sequence down to like, you know, meeting the family in China, that was just so like such a delight. Like it's it's not even like we get one montage. It's like almost like a series of like it's like three really funny set pieces, bam, 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 in a <laughs> row. And that's like that's Cherry and Teresa like firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, a good road trip movie. And this reminds me of like the the days of like the movie Road Trip and Euro Trip is just oh, yeah. a bunch of shenanigans like strung together by like this trek um, towards a destination. And this definitely gave like I thought the shenanigans in this film were definitely like it was it was really funny. Like I was I watched it with my wife and she was laughing and cringing the entire time through like <laughs> all of those sequences you just talked about. Oh, they're so good. I mean, um, I think Stephanie Shu like I'm not surprised because she's theater actor and mm-hmm. she's done musicals so and of course like everything everywhere all i want is also like in, in low-key very physical not even low-key very physical performance i never watched emily in paris ashley park her line deliveries are like low-key amazing like <laughs> like there a lot of jokes could have fallen flat if not delivered correctly and i think ashley park like she lands all of them and then she can swing the other direction and like ground the film um in the third act which is like damn girl you should have an emmy <laughs> yeah it would be unsurprising if i said that um ashley park is one of the best better things about emily in paris to the to the point where they clearly give her more and more to do every season <laughs> The first season, you're kind of just like, why are you there? And like, just being the sort of random Asian friend. And they definitely were like, oh, wait, she could do way more. So there's that. And then um, and Stephanie Shu, we've sung her praises so many times, but also one of the better things in uh, Poker Face, which is already an excellent show. So um, she definitely like had a really fantastic uh, guest spot there. Um, so, yeah, and I'm I am thrilled to you know have seen that sabrina Wu, newcomer to me um actually steal so many scenes but also have some heartwarming moments uh so yeah i was really happy with this like quartet of mm-hmm. talent that it was just insane <laughs> it's insanely talented and funny in each in their own way um uh, yeah they could yeah their own. also I will shout say- out to like baron davis <laughs> <laughs> So, Baron Davis was pretty good in this movie too. Anytime like an uh, an athlete is like really funny, yeah, yeah, the cameos are really good. Um, I was tickled by the um, cameo of Tim Simons who plays um, um, Audrey's boss um, in the beginning mm-hmm. because he's basically playing Jonah from Veep um, mm-hmm. again, which like he yes. plays that character really well. Um, actually, my only other Ashley Park experience was her character in Beef, and I just feel like she has a very good grasp of that one conservative like oc asian type character right like mm. the ones where like you know if left her own devices would probably vote republican right <laughs> <laughs> yeah she has that face yes yes i feel like that is her character niche um you know we're not saying ashley park does that but <laughs> that does tend to be the character she plays yes um and she's very good at it um and you know they were able to incorporate it's fun to see them incorporate you know like you know ashley park and sing stephanie she can sing uh they put that to good use yeah there and- is a um there is a an extended k-pop inspired scene that is probably one of the in, in addition to um the train scene one of the highlights of the film i think yeah what did y'all think about that scene or is it too spoilery 
I mean, it's it's teased in the trailer, so we can't say <laughs> too much more about it, but it is a centerpiece. Uh, you will be talking about it after you watch it. I honestly wanted it to be longer. <laughs> so, like, I wanted more choreography and more, not that any of it was bad, it just was short. Um, so, yeah, I kind of wanted them to lean into that a bit more because something that isn't really, I don't think is revealed in the trailer, is that um, Deadeye is a huge BTS, you know, uh, <laughs> their army. And so there is a very thin BTS army plot line in the film. And I think they could have gone harder on it. And I, if I had any sort of quibble with the film, there are a few. But one is I'm happy it's a 90-minute film. But also when it comes to four main characters, um, you get a short couple of them are short shrift, you know. Uh, so I kind of wanted them to lean a little bit more into that. But, you know, overall, that scene was fun and uh, unforgettable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the pacing was, at least to me, it felt a little bit off um, in terms of like the scenes of the shenanigans were a lot of fun. But the scenes linking them together, I felt like, were a little, at least to me, a little underdeveloped, right? They did the job getting you to the next set piece. But I kind of wish, honestly, like for a road trip movie, I wish there was more like of the road trip, like the travel logging, like experiencing culture or whatever. Like, I felt like I didn't get enough of that, at least personally. Yeah, it, especially when, you know, you have someone like Audrey who hasn't been outside of the States probably, you know, or at least doesn't know it. China that well, um, experiencing things in in what she, you know. Yes, she's white, but she's still a tourist, right? So <laughs> it's like have her eat some things, have her try some things, um, other than like being kind of lost. And then having Cat, you know, show them around more would be interesting as someone who is local. <laughs> Anything, yeah. So yeah, it, but this just just it speaks to how much they tried to pack in. Like I felt like they had too much time in the nightclub. I was just like, I kind of don't care about that. But you know, I understand that. Yeah, and I feel like, and this is my hot take. Um, this film gave me a lot of like early 2010s Asian American film vibes, like the types of films uh, you would see at Asian American festivals in the early 2010s, um, a time when Asian American filmmakers were um, starting to branch out into comedies and culturally specific comedies, um, but still didn't feel confident in the audience getting their the cultural specificities. And so a lot of the writing, a lot of the jokes felt really explaining, right? Like the characters were explaining to the audience why these things are funny and why right. these yes, things are I important. agree. I think some of the jokes are a little like expositiony um and they may they're like funny in theory, but they kind of don't land that great. Um, and then I, I mean, I'm just wondering if that's like just was like that was like a studio note or something like if that was, you know, like they're like, you need to explain this. And, you know, I do think they rag on like Audrey's whiteness a little bit too much yeah. or or maybe it's not executed in the best way. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And we've we kind of touched on this earlier. It's just like just show the differences or just show them enjoying things. You don't have to explain it, you know. Uh, and if anyone's curious, they can, you know, someone can write a story. Here's what they ate that no one, <laughs> talked, you know. It's just it, I did feel that maybe they were getting notes where they had to then address them. Um, the main two writers, because even though they developed the story with Adele Lim, 
um, the main two writers do come from TV. So maybe there's a reason that there's sort of a, a, that sort of pacing to it, you know, episodic pacing. Um, and whereas the transitions between each <laughs> is kind of lost. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I guess I wonder if it was studio notes because Adele Lim was able to thread that needle in Crazy Rich Asians. So um, we know that she could do this. So, yeah, I wonder I wonder what it was. Yeah, I mean, I I I do think it part of it might be notes and just because we have not had something of this scale um that was supposed to you know release wide in theaters i feel like part of it was delivery too like it may have would have landed but or like because i feel like no one talks to their friends like that right like we rag our friends we can rag our friends um you know i get ragged for being having too many white woman tendencies by my friends like they rag on my love of taylor swift like Mm -hmm. it's a very natural thing to do and i think that's fair game but like you know, like my friends don't go out to me, go come up to me and say, you are so white. Yeah. It's, you it's, are a white person. You know, like we do it in other out. ways. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that brings us to like the one real criticism of this film, which is its adoptee storyline. And, you know, we do have friends from the adoptee community, uh, both in the Potluck Podcast Collective and also in our in our lives. And I've read different perspectives from all of them. And for the most part, I think people appreciate the representation, but um, not necessarily the handling of the tropes. And the fact that mm-hmm. the film isn't written or starring adoptees has a lot to do with it as well. And it definitely just felt like the adoptee storyline, at least to me, didn't necessarily need to be there. I mean, the jokes on Audrey's whiteness no, didn't they're... have to revolve around her Um identity as an adoptee um there are plenty of asian americans who have like just said white people tendencies and that conflict is already there without audrey having to be an adoptee and i get that you know in terms of the story um being an adoptee is very convenient shorthand for that characterization Uh, but this was definitely something like like i mentioned when i first heard about what the film was going to be about that never really sat right for me. And the film didn't really do anything to, um, to assuage that. Right. And, and I think it would have been hard for them to do that because they packed in way too many plots. Um, I like all the four friends, but that also does mean that if you're going to do something that is needs nuance, it's not going to happen. And so that's, I think the, the biggest problem is like, Heart's in the right place, but you're not giving the time on screen that this is. Yeah. And just like with Crazy Rich Asians, um, no one film is going to be representative of the entire like Asian American or transnational Asian adoptee experience. But it would have been nice to see that effort being made to, you know, make it as representative as possible for the slice that, you know, you're representing. And I don't know if I saw that due diligence in this film, the way that you see in you know other major studio films about um, disadvantaged communities, which is a shame because you know as someone who's worked in Asian American representation advocacy um, for several years now, um, that's a part of my brain that I really can't turn off. And knowing that my friends have had you know visceral reactions to this film, um, it did affect how I approach those themes in this film as well. Yeah, uh, I mean. Salon's going to have a story <laughs> from uh, an adoptee uh, about this this movie, but also pulling in Return to Soul um, because that is also an adoptee movie about someone going back to 
their home country to try to find their parents. And, you know, th- there all of these topics are important and legitimate. I don't want to speak for anyone, but once we get to spoilers, I can express the ideas I had about <laughs> it that were, you know, yeah, it could could they have you know dropped it entirely and done better possibly but it's kind of like with everything that when we sort of start doing representation in movies you're like oh i'm just so happy that they put an asian it didn't even have to be like the right type of asian you know those are like those are early like uh 1990s <laughs> type conversations and so every time something like that happens there's awkward representation so like something i noticed in the past year or so is like there's a lot of deaf character representation and so um i'm happy they're finally maybe hiring deaf actors to play these deaf characters whereas previously it was just good enough that they had a deaf character um but then also now the storylines you know there's you know i'm scrutinizing them and i was like why did they have to make this deaf character because i asked the writer themselves like they're like yeah i wanted the deafness to be like a superpower and i'm like okay don't fetishize the deaf character (laughs) so just there's there's always sort of like an evolution that has to happen when it comes to people trying to do representation and i hope we get to the next level soon when it comes to adoptee you know storylines um because there's tons everywhere but i also feel like there has been a slight uptick in these storylines so if they're continuing to be um put into narratives i want an adoptee to finally get to tell that story be part of the consulting group if they're not the writer themselves yeah i mean i think for me it's just doing a story about someone who is let's say whitewash and wants to like reconnect or finds a way to reconnect with their culture. It didn't need the adoptee layer, um, but you know that's that's the film we have, and because it's what we have, like that's these, these are conversations that come out from that. So um, at the end of the day, I can both admit that this was a really fun, sexy road trip comedy, while at the same time wishing it had more nuance when it came to like touching on adoptee stories. And I think that's where I come down on this. Yeah, totally agree. Um... Crazy Rich Asians, big for its time, definitely has issues. Same with this. Yeah. (laughs) And there's more I want to talk about, but then that'll get into spoiler territory because this film does have its fair share of twists and spoilers that are best experienced cold. So um, before we get to our spoiler zone, um, yes, as our final verdict is Joyride, good pop. I say yes. I had a great time. I think just generally more fun comedies, please. I don't want to watch like more, like three, more 90 minute comedies. I do not need any more three and a half hour, like dramatic bullshit about like a middle age white man's like, should I make something that can kill a bunch of humans? No, I don't need that. More of this, please. Uh, Yes, this is a good time. I think this is the epitome of like a summer movie. If you are wanting to beat the heat, the record heat in the world um, and go to an air conditioned theater. And if you can do that safely, do so. Um, Definitely bring a friend. Uh, Yeah. And I think when Jess mentioned that this is not a romantic comedy, it is comedy about friendships and, and um, personal sort of like identity. I think that makes it 
almost more worthwhile sometimes because we don't get to see that that often. So I found it very enriching and fun in that way. Yeah. Um, I also come down on this film being good pop. I had a lot of fun in the theater um, watching this film. It's been a while since I've enjoyed a good, like, raunchy road trip um, comedy. And even without being compelled to watch it because of our identity as uh, professional Asian Americans, it was definitely a project that I was excited about. Um, I liked the people working on it and in it. You know, it wasn't a perfect film, but it was definitely um, the most fun I've had in a the movie theater in, in a little bit. So, um, yeah, I guess with that, that'll do it for our discussion of Joyride. And as we end this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club, Jess Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? Um, I'm still waiting to figure out. <laughs> I have not started the threads yet, so I'm just going to say that's on hold. I'll let you know next time. Uh, I am actually on threads. I'm at Anonymous, but that's basically Anonymous everywhere. So you'll still find me on Twitter, on Instagram. I have a blue sky somewhere um, that's also Anonymous. Whether I'm posting on any of these things or not, that's a fun surprise. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Marvin Yeah, um, not on Threads or Blue Sky or any of that yet. Kind of still waiting and seeing where everyone lands um, as Twitter implodes in real time in front of us. Um, you can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Uh, check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thanks for listening and stay tuned for our spoiler zone. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Potion by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. All right. Welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club Joyride Spoiler Zone. Um, who knew that we would have a spoiler <laughs> zone for a raunchy road trip comedy, but here we are. And that'll also serve as a spoiler warning um, if you have not watched the film and don't want to be spoiled by the um, the big twists. Um, stop listening now and come back later. But yeah, I guess... We should talk about the biggest twist, mm-hmm. which to me was kind of like a relief when it came mm-hmm. out, which is that Ashley Park's character, Audrey, is actually a Korean adoptee and not a Chinese adoptee, which makes her casting in the film make sense. Yeah. I mean, look, we talk about how much representation has evolved. And so back in the crazy rich Asian days, they hired all sorts of Asians to play like Chinese 
right? Singaporean, Singapore, like yeah. you got <laughs> Koreans playing them. You got, you know, everyone. So that movie, we didn't, we weren't quibbling too much because we kind of knew the game, you know, going in. Whereas this one, I was just like watching it through and I was just like, huh. Everyone's cast right except for Ashley Park because I was like, she's definitely Korean. And that's, you know what? That also bothered me with Emily in Paris because her character is like Chinese. And so um, I was just like, is it because she's a main character that they just decided to get her? Uh, But no, it is revealed that even though she thinks that she is Chinese, goes back to China to figure out where her, you know, her her parents are or her mother is uh yeah the big twist for her is to find out that actually her mother is korean and came to china to uh get her adopted out so yeah um but that also leads to (laughs) um some other complications i guess uh (laughs) yeah Uh, the the twist was great in that it um made her casting again like it made sense right because like, that was one of one of my two um quibbles with the with the lead up which is like why are they casting Ashley Park as a character looking for her birth parents in China um but something about the way they handled like the aftermath kind of gave me some some weird vibes i don't know if it, if you guys felt that too yes. like the whole like family turned their back on her when they find out she's Korean, which is like, that felt bad. There were a lot. I thought that was really funny. (laughs) There were a lot of weird things about it. I mean, okay. Even starting out, um, because I didn't want to bring this up because it made it, I don't know. Um, So when they were starting out and they go to the nightclub and then we see one of our first of many, you know, cameo guest stars, this is Ronnie Chang. Right. Um, And he, 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 breaks out like some sort of like proverb about like if you don't know where you come from you don't know who you are which oh don't tell that to anyone especially an adoptee what the fuck kind of like idea is that like you know, i would but like to that's be fair, kind of contextually how it makes sense they... because east asian people love their bloodlines yeah, and, and love like but their th- race that purity. is something totally like a person from like that is kind of what like a Chinese person would do. That, no, no, that's kind of the bullshit they would pull. But I get that. But it's not contested in any way. So it's seen. It's presented in the film as if this is true, and this is something what you want. And so she takes it also as like you're right, you know. And I just feel like this is a really harmful sort of narrative to talk to anyone who can't ever find their birth parents, or let's say, uh, black people in America who don't know what country they came from, you know. So I. I found I like even when he said that I was just like not happy with it. But you know, it comes off kind of like a sort of like a proverb, a nation proverb. I don't know. Um, so I, did, I, I maybe it's yeah. maybe the landing wasn't stuck, but I do feel like her realization she doesn't need all of that and she rejects all of that essentially in her career. Um, at the end when she yeah. decides to you know she doesn't care about being fired and she's gonna start her do her own thing because I, I i don't think that like matters for better or for i mean I, I think within the character i just don't think it matters that to, that too much to her because she's just like trying yeah. to obvi- like cover that with like professional success right yeah and i feel like i i actually felt that part was kind of Funny because Ronnie Chang was obviously playing up like this chauvinistic Chinese dude, and like he's obviously like full of shit and a blowhard. Um, but I can definitely see if 
like people who aren't aware of those tropes of like the pervasive of, of like Confucian ideals to like see that plate straight and yeah because also um, but, like not everyone's going to know that and also she does still end up looking for her roots so even if like by the end she kind of comes around she takes it as advice and so yeah but she does it for mercenary reasons eventually she but she i think when she does search for her mother there's an extra level of like hope there and that's why she's disappointed at first mm. um i i don't think anything is just 100 percent truly mercenary in this film when it comes to her so um i think with i i also kind of don't mm. mind the like family racist turn because the inter-ethnic you know asian racism term number one it is kind of true and we get the really great line from sabrina who's like grandma stop being racist which is yes you at, know at are least- you even an immigrant child if you haven't yelled that to your family, at least or children of immigrants. Yeah. yeah. At least in that moment, you do get someone actually countering that narrative. And so I think that was what was important and that I was, I was missing when it came to Ronnie, uh, Ronnie's character. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think maybe if he was just like a little douchey, like if they douchier. played up like the yeah. obvious, I think it's it's just because we love Ronnie. He's, like he, we jet, royal we we love Ronnie. We love Ronnie, but he says some very douchey things. Right, and I yes, think. but that's his character, and it's very love. We we, we love we that, love, but like I lovable. think they needed yeah. to push him like a little bit further, or like cast someone else. Right, cast someone who is traditionally like yeah, like if he was more like the her boss in the states, <laughs> who's like obviously kind of like insane, Jonah. Um, but because because. Ro- yeah. yeah, but if he played the character that he played in Megan. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right. Oh, yes. my so God. He, like, he was so if good he bumped Megan. it up a few <laughs> notches, I think that would have made it more clear. Um, yeah. One thing about the whole, like, Ronnie Chang club scene, also just in general, as someone who was fluent in Mandarin Chinese, none of the fluency okay, clocked Okay, please explain. <laughs> I, didn't, fair. Everyone felt I didn't like know how American. any of this was going on, so, like... What was? Yeah, I, I feeling like you know Han probably didn't notice it at all, but Jess, you noticed it, I right? Mean, they all sound like people who are ABC, which I don't mind. <laughs> I think the only one, like I actually read Cat as someone who went back to who is ABC and went to China to become an actress, mm. which is also a very specifically Asian American thing. Um, it happens, but I, I, I was a little bit like, oh, you're not a f- really that fluent. Like you don't speak like a fluent person. But, you know, in in China, I, I, there's a lot of things I give up past to because in mm-hmm. all honesty, like Stephanie, she would not be someone who is famous in China. Right. So the fact that her Mandarin, like her look is not like the Chinese actress look. So like the fact that her man, she's supposed to be fluent in Mandarin, but she's like, she's like her tone isn't like native speaker fluent. I'm like, I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. To yeah, me. they all speak Chinese, like just mm. nice speak Chinese, which is fine because they're all their characters are. <laughs> like that are are abc you know like yeah. children of immigrants so the fact that you know like like sherry's that, from the area we're from marvin like of course she sounds like us yeah. we all grew up like basically <laughs> in the same neighborhood yeah which you know that part is like like just mentioned i, I could give it a pass because you know whatever you you have it's it'll probably be harder to get like chinese actors to come and like train them to speak english and all that like whatever uh, but which brings me to the part where it was the most jarring, which was the Daniel Day Kim cameo <laughs> at the end as like the stepfather who speaks to her non-fluent mother in English. I mean, first of all, <laughs> killing off the mom. Like, okay, that's a choice. 
But it gets weird, really weird and creepy because, like, there's this older, hot Korean dude who's not actually your father, you know, inviting you into his home. And sure, I was married to your mom. I don't know. I guess you're going to trust him because he's Daniel Day Kim. Um, and then brings out this video <laughs> of her dead mom. And it just like there's a lot of weird vibes going on everywhere. <laughs> like, I get why you have I'm fine to- with that. I'm not thinking too hard about it. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying I'm thinking too hard. All I know is I'm watching and I'm getting weird vibes. So whatever it is, there's something weird going on. Um, but, uh, you know, it's Daniel Day Kim. So it's fine. But I just I don't know. I didn't I didn't feel this whole scene, I, I felt odd about it. And I I did. I mean, the 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 final Feral video did catch. I did catch some feelings. It did. It did work in its emotion manipulation of my empathy. Um, I felt like in general, the, the last act of the film was probably one of the weaker acts. Like the way that everything came back together, the way they had the the makeup scene, you know, after the, the rom-com breakup kind of felt a little flat as opposed to like the first two acts of the film, which was like balls the wall, like comedy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think there's a tonal shift um, that might be a little strange, um, but I just, I just find like Ashley Park. So convincing, like even if it is gets a little weird and like, you know, all those questions, like why is she following this man? Like, why is he speak? I'm just like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna block that out and and go along for the ride. Yeah, the and, joy I mean, ride. The, the, <laughs> yeah, and you know the the final kind of apology scene, like chasing her down into um, Lolo's um, Chinese restaurant to do like the big like grand gesture. That was I, I like that. Um, I did feel like the final scene in Paris. I wish was a little. I was expecting. Like one last comedy thing, like them. Well, you see her. You right. see her. She get. She gets a or or they get a vagina tat. Yeah. No. I meant. I. Oh. I. I think I know what you mean, which is sort of more of a an actual going off hijink sort of like. Yeah. Like, say, if we we're going to compare this to, like, say, The Hangover, right? The final scene where it's like Ken John's character pops up again at the end, right? Yeah. I kind of wish, like, for me personally, I was expecting kind of it to develop into a mock teaser for like the next quote-unquote film yes. which is like sh- the same shenanigans in paris wedding shenanigans yeah yeah wedding shenanigans i'm very ex- i hope we get a number two i want wedding shenanigans <laughs> yeah yeah but we end with like kind of like a dinner party where they're all kind of just like hey let's do expository dialogue about where we all yeah, are now uh, <laughs> like i do want to bring up the section because before we get to the end which is basically their sexual exploits or at least the basketball team because mm-hmm. this was so pleasantly surprising. I, of course, I knew it was going to be raunchy, um, but I didn't know they were literally going to destroy a basketball team so that they couldn't walk or perform or anything yes, like that. Yes. And that uh, Ashley Park's character was going to get Eiffel Towered. Like, what the hell? Yes. I'm so... Two really hot guys, yes. by the way. Just, like, very hot. I mean... Just Chris Pang is enough, into it. right? But no, they need to No, add. no, the great. other guy was hotter. Right. No, that's Sorry, what I'm Chris, is, love you, but the other guy is hotter. I, what I'm just saying is that would have been enough for the scene to have worked, yeah. but they just added on because they're like, why stop there? Um, so that was just really fun because I didn't, or even I expected one person to get lucky. I didn't expect everyone to just destroy other the men. Um and and I think that's part of the, you know, 
all the way from the vagina tat to that uh, scene. And even I think Nai is talking about getting deflowered at some point. <laughs> like there's yeah. there's a lot of like very heightened sexuality stuff that um, unapologetic, very fun. We don't have to think about like Asian women and how they're depicted sexually in the past. Like this film owns everything from, you know, in a very modern uh, sex positive point of view, including uh, Lolo's horrible art. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not good, right? I think I put that in the notes. Like, is it good? I'm like, no, it's not very good. I, I don't, I know. Yeah, I'm open to all sorts of pop art, modern art, or whatever. And I was like, that's not it. Sorry. <laughs> I do like Licky Cat. Licky Cat's cute. That's fun. Licky Cat's cute, but like the Lotus vagina, mm, I'm like, I don't know if I'm into that, that- girl. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, if the characters say it's good, then it sh- must be good. Because, I mean, this is the same criticism we had from past lives, which, like, was that monologue that um, Nora's character wrote right, right. good, right? Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I encounter this a lot when it, well, never mind. <laughs> I was like, I was going to bring up K-dramas. But, yeah, it's, but, yeah. hey, the, uh, the vagina lotus art is, you know, Georgia O'Keeffe. Like, how, how outside of <laughs> art is that? It's, uh. It could be, you know, eye of the beholder, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get the same feeling whenever I watch. Sometimes when I watch, like, say we're watching, like, the menu. And it's like, some of these dishes don't look really that, like, fancy to me. But, you know, if the characters say so, yeah. then it must yeah. be, right? <laughs> Who are we but just humble viewers <laughs> of pop culture? I'm not a media. critic at all, a way that I am. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, you kind of are. Yes, you kind of are. Huh? <laughs> I am a critic. Um, I. It's always hard when you're trying to have someone do an art form in a movie and like has to be good. It's just like oh, me, like yeah. nine out of ten times it just does not work. Let me just say that when I started watching Hallmark films and I was just laughing my ass off because they're like, "You're such a good illustrator. Let's do a children's book together." And I was like, literally, it's like a stick figure. <laughs> or something and I was like are they actually trying to make us believe this is good could they not have hired someone who was legitimately okay um, but so I will say that Lolo's art is actually well crafted <laughs> it does look professionally <laughs> done as if they hired someone to do it just whether or not you think it's aesthetically pleasing or smart or has it something to say is a different story uh, Where, which is where my artistic critiques yeah. come in <laughs> <laughs> i mean i guess they are conversation yes, starters yes. i think maybe if they were similar to the licky cat where if all of them had a dual purpose maybe i would have been like okay i can see that um but yeah it's fine it's it, it represented the character um when when she and Baron Davis were making sex sounds, that was a fun time. Very weird and awkward, but yet, you know, liberating. That's true. Lola was the only person who did not destroy her person. Uh, yeah. And and I believe it was it was pretty much just very casually hinted at that she is at least bi. Um in because I think she mentioned a woman in the past. Um, so I, I like the fact that there is a diversity of sexuality because although it is never addressed, you know, we don't know if, um, Deadeye has any sexual preference at all, um, because they end up, uh, destroying, um, army fans. So (laughs) over BTS in a dance battle over dance moves. So, you know, maybe that, maybe that's foreplay, who knows, but, um, 
I kind of did also appreciate that um, Audrey, you know, she had her her threesome with with the uh, Chris Pang and the the South Asian dude. Um, that they didn't dwell on the fact that like because they made it very clear like one or two scenes before that she's never had like a relationship yes. with an Asian person. Yes. But at the same time, her character is attracted yes. to Asian dudes, which I don't know if this was like just a writing thing or just I don't know. It's it was weird, but also I didn't it wasn't weird yeah. enough for me to. I mean, care I think much about it. they didn't belabor the point that she is very white by just saying she only dates white guys or, you know, like she doesn't find Asian guys attractive, which I'm glad they like they didn't need to go there. And, you know, also they lived in a very white town. So maybe. You know, you can kind of give her a pass there and just be like, that's who was available to her um, or who wanted to date her. Um, but uh, the fact that she can just, you know, run into a Chris Pang and be like, yes, <laughs> I was like, OK, you know, you, there, there's definitely no hang up there. So also one of my favorite gags is, um, do you like hair? Do you like your hair? Do you like hair pulling? She's like, yeah, and she's pulling their hair. Yes. Just there, great. there is Love so that. many good moments there. So I appreciated that whole yeah. sequence. Yeah, and I, I did like Desmond's character too as like the the GCC. Oh, he's so like, right. Oh, he's so man. funny. His his little like oh, and his like run to the door and him it, trying not to like come to when they're it, making it was out. honestly maybe one of my favorite roles of his. It was um, because the oh he's kissing is like oh but I gotta leave room for Jesus. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and later on when he says, oh, I'm only leaving room for Jesus so I yes. can free my pants, yes. which was pretty good. <laughs> great, good great job, Desmond, as always. Yes, yes. All right, well, I guess with that, that'll do it for our Spoiler Zone for Joyride. Thank you so much for sticking with us, and yeah, um, we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, part two. <laughs>